As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Okay, James, we're doing a Leaf Report podcast for the first time in a few weeks. You were out west in Vancouver and Calgary. I went to Edmonton. It's your, I guess, it's your home province. Did you have a, a fun time? Man, Canucks fans do not like the Leafs. Holy cow! I get every time I go there, I get attacked like crazy by Canucks fans, and I had to block a bunch of them. And the only thing I tweeted, the only thing I tweeted was uh, Canucks fans are chanting "Leafs suck," and then I put checks the standings just because it's kind of weird for. I get it. I mean, you're a fans and you don't like the team or whatever, but your team's in like fourth last or whatever, and you're saying another team sucks that's like in third third place. But anyway, so I just made that joke. And then like I got like deluged for like two days from angry Canucks fans. But they're, mm. they're, Canucks fans are wired, I think, a bit differently than, than a lot of fan bases in the league. But it's funny. Like you go to other places in Canada, and I guess I'm talking like NHL cities, and there's like this... I don't know what the right word is. Envy, jealousy, hate, anger. Something about Toronto like rubs people the wrong way. And I guess you, even though you're from BC, you come there and like you bring up the fact that the Toronto team is now good and the Vancouver team is not, whereas a few years ago the Vancouver team was good and the Toronto team was not. Did you consider like writing another Dear Canucks, like here's how you fix your team? Here's what well, the Leafs did? I did, but it's the same article, right? Like it'd be, it'd be the, basically the... Yeah. Well, that's when Ed, the thing Jonas is referring to is when Edmonton was in town, I wrote a lessons the Oilers can learn about the Leafs rebuild. And some Oilers fans didn't really like it. And they said, 
you know, the Leafs aren't the model franchise or whatever, but they're the model. They've been the model franchise in turning it around quickly from when you're bad for a long time to, mm-hmm. you know, they've 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 accomplished that. We talked about that on I think the last podcast that we did. Um, so the podcast is brought to you by the Athletic. Go to theathletic.com/slash/leaf-report. Uh, you get forty percent off uh, subscription. We don't think you will be disappointed with everything that you can read. Especially now, Leafs playoffs, Raptors playoffs, Blue Jays are starting. I don't know what happens with TFC, but there's lots to read. Um, And obviously, we're brought to you by the Saki Hall of Fame. Um, So I think we should start, given that it's fresh, although by the time people listen to this, they might not really care about it. Do you want to start with the Tampa game? Or do you want to start with your trip, the trip that they took? I think we start with Tampa and then we'll go reverse chronological. Like Benjamin Button. Good movie. Yeah. Do you like that movie? Oh, no, Too I long. Guess, well, Benjamin Button, yeah, he went from old to young, right? And then he disappeared. He turned into a sperm at some point. No, I didn't like that movie. No, I thought it was cheesy. I always make fun of it. I watched it, I remember, I watched it with my mom, and she hated it. And I always, I always, I always reference it, because she doesn't like it. I think it's very watchable. Like it's you can rewatch it a lot of oh, times. Yeah? I haven't gone back and watched it again. I did watch a lot of movies on my trip because I had a couple of days off. So I saw, I saw like a lot of the Oscar movies. Okay, so I've seen. We'll we'll do a brief side side whatever you want to call this. So I've seen a few of the Oscar movies too. Green Book was not the best movie I saw all year. Like not even close. It just felt like a very like Hollywoody. Do you like Green Book? Did you see Green Book? Yeah, I watched it on the plane on the way back. I liked it, but yeah, I mean, it was that's a, that's like an Oscar movie, right? It's like Driving Miss Daisy, or I, I liked it. I thought I thought that uh, Viggo Mortensen was was really good as as the Italian guy, and and and, and uh, shoot, I can't Hershaw Lee, yeah, he's awesome. He was excellent too. So the acting was really good. The story was okay. It was a bit unique in that it was a bit of like a. a a unique story. I, I don't know. I like there was music in it, and the other ones I saw uh, uh, was A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. which was really good, and Bohemian Rhapsody, which I thought was just okay. Okay, so I've seen both of those. Yeah, I agree. Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't that good. It was. It was like it was just like a bunch of, of those, Queen. That's all it was. And like, one of those biopics that just goes on and on, and yeah. And Star Is Born, I thought was really good. I thought Star Is Born was better than Green Book. But anyway, let's talk about hockey. Um, so you wrote after the Tampa game. Um, that this is kind of a wake-up call for the Leafs, I wrote, how they lost. I wrote panic in capital letters. Is there a panic button that they can go press? Do you think they have one in the locker room and like it's it's under a a little guard, and then if you want to press it, you got to open the guard, break the glass. I think maybe the old regime did, and then Kyle Dubas <laughs> had it removed because he only believes in the process. So there's a button now you can press. It says process. <laughs> no, they got rid of the button. No. no. Okay, so. It wasn't just you who said that it was a wake-up call. It was Austin Matthews. That was, like, one of the more sharp, I guess, um, analysis by a player of the team all year, um, especially by Matthews, who actually is pretty honest when he talks about the team. But he was pretty um, critical of his team. He said they weren't ready. He said they quit in the third period. He said Tampa slapped them. How much do you really take from that game, though, like in the big picture? Because I'm not sure. Well, I don't think it's the thing that people are saying, oh, it's just one game. I don't think it is just one game. I think that they've had a lot of kind of inconsistent performances, and their record since late December isn't great. I mean, it's it's very mediocre. Like, they, they just haven't really 
been very convincing as one of the best teams in the league. They a lot of their record, they're I think they're fifth in the league right now. A lot of that record was put up before Christmas. Mm-hmm. It, it was. I mean that that if you look at I was looking at it um, at on December twenty eighth, they were like Tampa was first. And the Leafs were right there, right behind them. They were only, I think they were maybe four points behind them. So it was still foreseeable that they could they could touch them. Um, now they're they're way behind. And Boston's four points ahead of them. Um, the chances of them getting home ice have fallen to something like 20%. And I, it feels like the players are frustrated. And But I think there's a number of things. I think that... Um, the injuries to the D are huge. Mm-hmm. Not having Gardner, not having Dermott, it's two of their three puck-moving defensemen on the end. I guess you can count him as in two. Does he count as a puck-moving defenseman? He's kind of, yeah. So they have, whatever. They're they're missing two of their key puck-moving defensemen. So when they're trailing in a game, it's really hard for them to get back on offense because they just don't have the horses on the back end. And there's also a flu bug going through the team. You know, it's... I talked to Zach Hyman after the game, and I'm surprised he played because, man, did he sound terrible. Sounds like he had what I had last week. <laughs> but you're talking, that's all very recent. That's yeah. not, the, the more general malaise, I think, is probably the right way to describe it since, like, December. It's been, like, a lot of things. It's been Nylander's not quite back. He's been, like, hit or miss. Some games, like, you're like, wow, and I, I know I've written it. Like, he looks like he's back. And then three, five, four, whatever games go by and you don't notice him. They've only had one consistent line. That's been like produ- productive all year. Well, and even that line for a few weeks was quiet, <coughs> which meant they, they didn't have any lines. Kadri misses eight games with a concussion. It just felt, feels like there's always been something kind of hanging around the team. Obviously, the first half, Nealander not being there. Matthew's getting hurt. Matthew's taking like a, a while, predictably, to come back from that injury and like be himself. And then even now, we're going to get to it, but like he hasn't looked like. He look. He doesn't look dominant all the time. Um, Dermot has the same injury that Matthews had. So if he's not back until a couple weeks before the playoffs, and he's not going to be himself, and mm-hmm. Gardner, they're trying to just use rest on his back spasms. I mean, if that doesn't work, could be problematic. I know it just. I, I I still feel like the Leafs can beat Boston, but this season just doesn't feel like it's going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels like it's going to be kind of like last year where they have a good regular season and then the playoff run isn't what their talent level says it could be. That's what it feels like. But so here's the problem I have with like taking that off. What would you have said if they beat Tampa convincingly? See the problem like well, we still know they're inconsistent, right? Like we still know that but like we might have said they look like they're capable of being well, they beating are, Tampa, they are, and they are. They, they are capable of beating those good teams, but yeah. it just feels like they're bringing their best to the table, like, what, like 50% of the time. Like, there's been a lot of games yeah. where they're just, I don't know. Well, like, the, the one thing, you mentioned this in your story, and if you haven't read it, go to The Athletic and check it out. Um, but you mentioned the reality, and, and I think it's more of a reality than, than you or Babcock or anyone, like, um, wants to make it, but that's a brutal game to come home from uh, a Western road trip. Like, I know how I felt, and I only covered the Edmonton game. I felt terrible on the Sunday coming back from Edmonton. I slept like 11 hours the next day. I can't imagine how their bodies were feeling. And so, like, we can't ignore the fact that, like, the schedule and the trip and, like, travel, it's a factor. Like, it's not an excuse. That's, like, that is literally a reality. It happened. That being said, like 
that doesn't excuse two months since December. I feel like, honestly, I get really tired of the, like, travel talk because, like, the Leafs have one of the easier travel schedules in the league and, like, the media talks about it and the players talk about it and the sometimes the coach talks about it. I think it gets talked about too much because every team in the league has all these crazy travel schedules it, and, like, like it, Tampa is never talking about how bad their travel schedule is and look how many games they've won or, like, look at Boston's travel schedule the last couple of months and look how many games they've won. Like, if you're going to be one of the best four or five teams in the league... You have to win some of those games. When do we ever talk about it? The only time I'm talking about it is when they come home from a long trip where the the travel is, is not great. And, like, admittedly, their travel is a joke compared to, like, teams like San Jose. But, like, it is – whether you want it to be a reality in a game like that or not, you're sometimes you just don't have energy well, because like, you've traveled. So they play the two games in Montreal and New York, and then they fly and they get a day off. And it's like, oh, the altitude in Denver is going to be a problem for them. And then and then we get to Arizona, and it's like, oh, it's the end of a long trip, so that's a problem. And then they come back from Arizona and St. Louis. is like, oh, they've been on a long trip, so now that's going to – like it, there's always just like this – there's like the, all these excuses that happen over and over and over again. And it it's not usually us, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that work for the team or work for the NHL, or there's just like a lot of this. I don't know if the fans noticed or not, but I just have noticed it this year that like this team should be one of the best teams in the league. It should be more consistent than it is. And there's just like these excuses that get made a lot of the time. But the problem with that is they are one of the best teams in the league. Like They're, they're fifth in the NHL. They are one of the best teams in the league. What I think is interesting about their year so far, um, I was talking about this uh, with Chris, Chris Johnson on the in Edmonton. It feels like a very joyless season, which is very yeah. weird for a top five team in the NHL that's having like some guys have like wicked years. It doesn't feel like they're enjoying it. Now, I don't know if that's just like what we see as media, but given everything that's happened, like there have been like these clouds over the team. It, it doesn't feel like a happy season and it, it should be. No, it does no, it doesn't. And not like remember that year when they surprised and made the playoffs mm-hmm. and what that felt like? Yeah. Do you think it's like do you think it's like a dressing room thing that they're just not like it's not a super tight team? That's no. I, I was thinking of putting that in my story because it just You know what I think it is? I think it it's it's what happens to a team when suddenly there's pressure on you to be a great team. Like I was thinking back to that first year when Marner and Matthews were on the bench singing to Bon Jovi, just like loving life in the NHL. Like they're kid, they're nineteen year olds, they're thriving on the ice, they're stars, and then like it changes where it's it's no longer just good enough to like be this nice story it's and like, like a your metaphor, kid. It's a metaphor for life <laughs> when you're young and everything, all the possibilities are in front of you, and then. You get to my age and you have kids and you're beaten down. and You're joking, but, like, I actually think that's what's going on. It's, like, suddenly, like, we're talking about contracts and suddenly, like, Marner is having to talk about his contract and, like, his agent's talking about it. Matthews's contract is on the, the burner. Neander's contract doesn't get done. Tavares goes back to Long Island, like, has to face, like, this venomous crowd. There's just, like, all these things that have made it, um, I don't know the right word, but a less than happy atmosphere and I think part of it is the pressure when you're expected to be a really good team and you're expected to be a top five team and you're expected to beat teams handily. And some nights they have. Like some nights they look like like the two other games they put against Tampa, they were awesome. But like there's other games where you watch them and you're just like, man, this this doesn't look like a team that is as good as it should be given the talent. I actually – I think some of the joylessness – oh, sorry, that's my computer – I think some of the joylessness is is the playoff format and the fact that they're locked in against Boston again and the fact that like it's kind of like this 
I don't want to call it a death march because, like, I think that they believe that. But like, if they had their say, it would they wouldn't be playing Boston in the first round. Like, I think it feels kind of. Well, I think Buck was asked about it before the Tampa game, and he kind of danced around a little bit, like it's not up to me to decide this, and I'll think about that when I'm retired, and which I don't know why he would think about it when he's retired. That that seems like the last thing he should think about when he's retired is the playoff format. But it's clear that he doesn't like it. I don't think the organization likes it. It doesn't reward the Leafs for the season that they've had. They should be playing Washington or Columbus or whoever. In they should be you know, third or fourth in the conference and have home ice advantage in that. Um, I think that that's just another little th- little frustration you can add on for the players. Well, but I also think that's tied to you don't have a ton to like really, really motivate you night to night to night because like you kind of know where you're going to be positioned and it's like, why? like you, you kind of just want to get to the playoffs. Like it's like you do your little gif of Batman I'm ready for the playoffs. I honestly think that's probably exactly how they feel. It's like, man, like, what are we doing here on this Tuesday night game where, like, there's literally nothing to play for except keeping your position in third? And even, like, home ice advantage. Like, I'm one of these people, I don't think home ice advantage is that big a deal. Like, I don't, yes, it's one extra home game. Yes, you get to start the series at home, but, like. I think the Leafs are actually better on the road than they are at home. Well, so there's that too. The players are kind of like saying like, oh, we got to get home ice from Boston. But I don't think that they're really like, that's not really motivating them to get up in the morning. Well, and he, I think Austin Matthews even said like he doesn't even think it's that big a deal. So, I don't know. I would be, I'm not concerned um, if I'm them. It's not going to surprise us if they lose in the first round though. I mean... Like, like if, if you have your say as a coaching staff and as management or whatever, you want the team rolling going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You want them playing like the way Boston is right now, where sure. like they're well, confident and they're, you yeah. know, you don't... They, this happened last year where they just... Although it's not, not exactly the same because they've got this... Because last year happened, because the playoffs happened last year. But last year in March, the players were kind of like... Like they just... It really felt like they just sleptwalked through the... Sleepwalked? Through the, the last six weeks of the season and it and it really hurt them because they were brutal in game one and two mm-hmm. i don't know what you do if you're mike babcock like you get out the cattle prod you don't really have a carrot to like dangle in front of them justin hall first line center today's story justin hall did you see in my story the numbers for ojaganov and marinchin are just brutal especially ojaganov what's bad about that is like they're not get they don't get hard minutes really no like no, but they're together. They're failing together. Marinchaganov, I was calling it. Well, and that's why Dermot is so important. Yes. And like, well, they, they, the Leafs have had one of the best third pairs in the league this year. You know, no matter, like Dermot was picking up Ojaganov. If you look at the with or without you stats with Dermot and Ojaganov, I didn't put that in the story, but I probably should have. The third pair for the Leafs was a real strength because Dermot's really good third pair defenseman. Like he probably shouldn't even be on the third pair. And even when they put Hainsey down there or they played Dermot with Muzzin, it was it always did well. I don't think Dermot's had the best season, but he's he's good for a third pair guy. Well, and lots of what he does, it's the same thing with Gardner, is like they move the puck, they transport the puck, and like suddenly like you have <laughs> you're putting in those places Marinchin and Muzzin who just aren't that. So I think we can expect that, like when you take Gardner out of the lineup. But it's you... too bad they couldn't do Rosen and Hall and like just go with like a really skilled third pair and try and get some good minutes out of it. 
And the other thing too is if you look at it, Hainsey and Zaitsev minutes have come way up with with the two D out because Gardner actually led leads the team in even strength last time per game. He's up or almost I think almost nineteen minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So it's like more than noticeably more than than Riley and Hainsey and Hainsey was fourth all year, and then now they've had to push him back up into a a more prominent role. Well, it's a very concerning. Like if if he's not right, Gardner. Like even if he comes back. Who knows what it'll be like? It's just such a big thing for them, I guess. Can you imagine if Gardner needs surgery? Like, I don't think that that's completely ruled out yet. I mean, like they're trying to go through this risk or or this rest period, and and hopefully, hopefully he gets better. But the back's really unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You know, in the example I used in the story, I did about these two players' injury. Uh, Zach Parise tried resting it for months, and eventually he needed the surgery. And the surgery's six to eight weeks. So if the Leafs waited and went the rest route and then he needs the surgery, he'll miss a big chunk of the playoffs. But I guess if you did the surgery right away, it would be right it would eat into the playoffs anyway. Yeah, it would, and he'd be coming off of major surgery right into the playoffs. So I think rest was probably the right way to go, but there's still some uncertainty here. And I mean he's a UFA and the surgery's something he can have after the playoffs, I guess. But he just might be a diminished player in the in the postseason. Well, I guess the good thing for them is, like, they know that they will get Dermot back before the playoffs. And, like, in the case that you don't have Gardner, at least you can plug in Dermot and you'll have Muzzin and Dermot. Yeah. That was going to be Dermot's time to shine with Gardner out. Yeah. Although, I don't know how much more he would have played. He should it... have played more. He should have played more. Well, and especially given the troubles that just or. Justin Muzzin. Jake Muzzin has had. Like, maybe it would have made sense to try him higher in the lineup. Um, what's next on our list? What What's our next topic? Uh, I had the road trip. Would you think... I mean, you watched a lot of it on TV. Would you think watching on TV? Calgary, they scored a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Some of them were pretty lucky. That was a pretty even game, other than Ennis getting a hat trick. Uh, Vancouver, I didn't like the way they played in Vancouver. I don't like that team doesn't have hardly any skill on it, and to, they kind of played down to the Canucks level and and lost in in overtime. Mm-hmm. Well, and then Edmonton, they played fine. Like they, Edmonton's not very good. And another team without a lot of skill. You know what was interesting to me on the trip is is kind of it's not a big deal. We can talk about some different things, but the situation with their fourth line is interesting to me, just because they're not technically putting their their 12 best forwards in the lineup and now that is because of position that is because they need a fourth line center who is not nick batan for mike babcock it was his decision though yeah it was that was weird that on the friday the day off practice babcock came out and said that in vancouver he played ennis moore and patan as his fourth line and he made a point to say it was my decision which i don't know so, Makes me think it wasn't his decision. Well, someone no, I think probably what happened is someone in the media or someone tweeted or something and said that. Well, no, we dude, talked about it on Overdrive, and I said exactly. I don't know if that's the reason, but like we talked about it, and I. My, you can't tell the coach who to play. You, you can't tell the coach who to play, but you can say like we just acquired this guy, like we need to make sure that he can play. Let's try him at fourth line center. Uh, I don't want to do that. Let's just try it. Try it one game. I don't know what happened. Like, that's just like, to me, it, it raises some red flags when all of a sudden, 
Mike Babcock, who didn't seem to want to put Nick Patan in the lineup at all, suddenly he's playing him at fourth line center. I don't know. That it was definitely surprising. And then two days later, he's and, like... Well, and forget about two days later. Literally after the game, Babcock comes oh, out and that, says yeah. that he did a disservice to the team by starting that line, which is like complete hyperbole, given that line played six minutes. Anyway, the the point is, like, I don't think it's a good <laughs> situation when you're sitting out one of your 12 best forwards. And if that's going to be Tyler Ennis, and if that's going to be Ty- Trevor Moore, that doesn't make sense for the playoffs. If they're going to be sitting Trevor Moore out in the playoffs, like, they are hurting their team. If they're going to be sitting Tyler Ennis out, they're hurting their team. I don't think it makes sense to play Goche ahead of those guys. I get the problem. I was going to write about it and, and didn't. I think a very simple solution would be to move Patrick Marlowe to the fourth-line center spot. I don't think Mike Babcock would do that, but that would solve the issue. I just don't know how it makes sense to keep about, one of your better players out. What about, Not one of your better players, but your better 12. What about Brown at fourth-line center? Yeah, like that was initial, That was one of the things I thought about. But like he's never played center in the NHL. He played center when, when he was a kid. Like At least Marlowe has played center, played center in the playoffs last year. He, he looked good in the playoffs last year. I don't know. Like I just don't think it makes any sense. I, well, Moore has to be in the lineup for the playoffs. Moore's yes. been excellent. Yes. He's been one of their best forwards. Well, he looks like he shouldn't... Not only should he be in the lineup, he should be on their third line. Yeah. So... The third line has been a problem. Like, if you look at the production that they've gotten, like, even strength points, I think Brown's only got, like, seven points in the last 31 games or something. I was looking at that period of where their record's been a little bit soft since since mm-hmm. about Christmas, and... There's a bunch of guys that haven't produced. Like Lindholm had one point in 26 games or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's no mystery why, why they traded that guy. Yeah. Well, and and like the the way that that line that third line was for a while it was Marlowe, Neilander, and Brown. Like, you're gonna get something hopefully from Neilander, but the other two guys, like I don't know what you can really count on offensively. Um, but this like kind of speaks to a larger question with Babcock, is like he kind of like moves sometimes too slowly with this stuff he's too stubborn and so like we saw last year you know Matt Martin was Matt Martin until like he was gone and like stopped playing entirely and then Kapanen and Janssen were playing and it was the same thing you know with Travis Derman like I just think it speaks to kind of a frustration I know obviously that fans have with Babcock that these things are too slow to happen and that like by the time you wait to make a change like it's it's almost too late so the problem isn't really the fourth like i don't know i think we spend too much time talking about like the fourth line and stuff like that like they play the fourth line like seven or eight minutes the problem is the third line isn't very good and, like, but that's what i'm saying like there is a case like a strong case that trevor moore should be playing out of marlowe he should be playing out of brown and like he might not even be in the lineup right yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. It's the same thing with Justin Hall and and Marincin and Ojeganov are playing every night. And I mean, I don't think Hall was great, but like he hasn't played all year, and that's on Babcock too. That mm-hmm. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting what they do in the off season with the roster. I, I expect that Kyle Dubas is going to continue to make the roster more and more of a finesse team. There's going to be more Nick Patans and Justin Halls. And, mm-hmm. you know, I won't be surprised if Hainsey and Zaitsev are both gone and they're replaced. Or not, Yeah, Zaitsev, yeah. And and they're replaced with more, you know, playmaking kind of defensemen. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Babcock makes of that and what he does with that, that lineup. You know, I think that yeah. getting rid of, of Lindholm is, 
and, and and putting Hall on the roster and putting Sparks on the roster and waving McElhaney and there's a lot of things that have happened this year that the coach wouldn't be moves the coach would have made and I think that that's just going to continue to happen so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if if they can get on the same page a little bit more well like the thing is like Babcock likes skill but he also likes people he thinks he can trust and like he thinks he can trust Hainsey and like the shame of that if I'm Dubas is like there is value potentially to bringing back Hainsey if he's going to be like your third yeah. player right D but the problem I would have is if I was him I'd be like well shit like I don't know if I bring him back if he's just going to end up on the top pair again now that can change like if they go out and get a, a, a right shooting top pair defenseman who's like slam dunk then maybe you can do it but other than that like I just don't think you can risk it yeah that's a really good point because when Hainsey's played on the third pair he's looked pretty good mm-hmm. so and and he's a guy that you could bring in relatively I, I just I don't think he's gonna be back just because Dubas is gonna want Kelly Rosen and some of these other guys that have apprenticed with the Marlies to to get a chance and mm-hmm. Justin Hall had a two-year contract so I imagine he'll be on the roster again and it's 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 really really interesting watching this this unfold where you know the GM inherits a coach who's considered you know one of the best of I was going to say old guard, but it's not like Babcock's even been around that long. He's been an NHL coach since 2003, but one of the best of his generation of coaches. Mm-hmm. And the league's changing, and who the GMs are and assistant GMs are is changing, and the idea of what should your roster should look like is changing, and there's this clash of ideals that's fascinating to watch. Okay, a couple things before we get out of here. Um, you mentioned like some of the roster building. They did sign... Resign, sign, whatever. They signed Garrett Sparks for next year, one year, seven fifty. To me, like that was, ex- I think that was literally exactly what you and I both projected he would get, which isn't really rocket science. Like, it seemed obvious. I think it makes sense. Um, you give him one more year, I guess. I mean, yeah, they- and like the, if if you come out next year and decide like, man, this guy can't play, this guy can't be our backup, you just go. Like, it's not that hard to go out and get a goalie. In, like, December or January or whatever. And and yeah. bury him for nothing. Right. I think, and I think Sparks would admit this, too, that he he, he kind of talked about this the day he signed the contract in, in Vancouver. He's, you know, basically, he needs to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, he needs to be a better backup, and he's still kind of learning how to be an NHL backup. And if he's not, his NHL career won't be very long. I'm just not ready to write the book on him after, like, 20-some-odd games that no. he's played in the league. Or maybe it's a little more. Um, before we go, I was wondering. So I wrote over the weekend about their MVP. Who do you think their MVP is? Well, I think and- I think it's Anderson. Hmm. I think it's Frederick Anderson, but he didn't have a very good night against Tampa. So we'll see how he closes the year. But if he finishes the year with a nine twenty four, nine twenty five save percentage, and is the runner up for the Vesna, I think I'd pick him. That's fascinating. See, I wouldn't even put, like, I didn't even put him second. I think Riley's more important to what they do. I think Marner is the most important to what they've done. Um, the one guy we should briefly talk about, and then we got to go, is Matthews. He's had, like, a really weird year. And obviously, he scored against Tampa. It was a beautiful goal. He's, like, on an 82-point pace of, like, 90 points and, like, 40-some-odd goals. 46. Yeah. So, like, the numbers all look fine. But it's been like a little underwhelming at times. And that's, 
I don't know if that's him just being like a 21-year-old in his third year in the league. I don't know if that's... I think there was a long stint after he came back from the shoulder injury where he wasn't... Where he's just taking time to get back, which I think is defensible. But it's it's not been the year, I think, that we expected. Or the dominance, I think, that we expected all the time. I was on TSN 1050 when I was in Western Canada. And one of the questions they asked was, who is under the most pressure on the Leafs in the Leafs organization to have a big playoff. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, it was Babcock, Matthews, Anderson, Tavares, I think. Mm-hmm. Or, no, I think it was Nylander. And I think the answer is Matthews. I think that there's a lot of... I think there's pressure on Babcock and Matthews and, and Anderson and Nylander for sure. But I think Matthews, is he's got the big contract. He did not produce a lot in the playoffs last year. He he needs to produce in this, in this postseason. And he, if he doesn't, the chances are the Leafs are going to lose a series. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I think it would be for me like Anderson and Matthews 1-1-A. One and one Because like Matt Anderson was not good in the Boston nope. series. He needs to be the better goalie in a series. Like, But you also need Matthews to produce. Like It was fine for like a lot of the underlying numbers for Matthews in that series to be fine. But like they can't go through a series where he has one goal. They they also almost won that series, and if Kadri doesn't get suspended for three games, and if Anderson doesn't That's a credit to their other players, it would not a credit to Anderson and Matthews. And no, they... but like they very well. This was Babcock's point afterward. I think if they let's say they win that series, they play another round. There's every chance that Matthews scores five times in seven games yep. and has ten points. And like we've seen that, we saw it with Crosby. We've seen it with lots of guys where one series mm-hmm. dictates. Nothing. You know what I'm saying, though. Like, yes. here's that next series. It's yeah. coming. It's going to be April 10th or whatever. And hopefully we're not staying in a crappy Airbnb again. <laughs> in Beantown? <laughs> Apparently the Jays are playing, opening their season like right then. So oh, yeah. like we can go see the Jays at Fenway. We're going to be busy. We're going to be writing great material for everyone to read at theathletic.com. You got it. All right. I think we're done. Uh, anything else you want to say? Well, I think maybe we just talk like for just a minute about the thing with the the slur, the alleged slur. That sure. So that blew up after the Tampa game. There was audio that uh, people online felt like uh, it was Morgan Riley saying a slur to the official. Um, the Leafs said they would look into it. The league said they would look into it. And then today um, they said that they learned that that didn't happen, that it, you know, that the slur didn't happen. And uh, Dubas and Riley are going to be speaking with the, the media here um, shortly. So we don't know exactly what they're going to say, but I have a pretty good idea what they're going to say. Um, you know, I think one of the things it shows is that you got to be really careful with the rush to judgment. It's one of the things I really don't like about Twitter and the Internet is that, you know, sometimes people just jump on these things too early before there's enough evidence and you know it's you're relying on unreliable evidence sometimes mm-hmm. that's well put and if it what like you just don't want to see that kind of stuff no that's why people get angry because like no. you hate seeing that stuff no honestly like if that actually did happen i would hope that the punishment would be a lot more severe than it was for when andrew shaw andrew shaw got one game suspension i think for mm-hmm. for doing like that's that's not enough like but doesn't sound like it happened. So you need that's you need to be careful with being judge, jury, and executioner too, right? With mm-hmm. this stuff, I, I think the punishment should be more severe, 
but you got to make sure it's it actually you're punishing something that happened okay we'll leave it there um i think we'll be back next week and get on a more regular schedule again uh i think that's it so if you don't have an athletic subscribership is that a word no so if you're not an athletic subscriber go to theathletic.com slash leaf report for 40 percent off we will be back next week james peace out